This morning we are going to uh, look at what it means to be a martyr. And I realize this is a really up kind of message. Strangely enough, TBN has not called to uh, put this on television anywhere. Um, thank you, you got it. The rest of you will get it later. But uh, there's an outline in your worship folder this morning, and we're going to look at a passage here in just a few minutes. You know, the interesting thing about looking at persecution and suffering, what it would mean to be a martyr, I think is a hard concept for most of us because of what we did, what we talked about earlier. We have men and women who fight for our freedom to be able to worship. And so we've not suffered much persecution in the United States. But I can assure you that there is a reason there is an organization today called Voice of the Martyrs. That is because people all over the world suffer for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel around this world. We don't really suffer persecution here to its fullest extent. Now, in some ways we do and we, we realize that you may in your life realize that you're suffering for the cause of Christ and you get, you're getting pushback at work or th- those in your family who don't know Christ. But I have a theory, and it's, my theory is that it's important to prepare before you need to do something. Our worship team, who I appreciate this weekend, you know, they, uh, this group of folks could have gone away for the holiday and yet stayed here to lead us in worship. And on any given weekend, you may not know this, they're if who you don't see on this platform or other parts of our worship team in many weeks they are in other new life churches leading worship helping some of the church plants and the other churches in our network and they are working there leading music and worship in those places and there's a team at uh, new life blacklick this morning leading in worship but there's this thing they do and it's really very strange it's called a rehearsal and what that does is allow them to prepare and be ready to lead us in worship. Now, I grew up in the South where it was kind of done differently, where it was, um, uh, anybody want to be in the choir this morning? Y'all come up and we'll sing. And, and y'all pray for us as we sing because we haven't had a lot of time to practice. And really the prayer should have been for all of us who were left having to endure their non-practice. <laughs> but there's a reason you prepare. As I disciple folks, I remind them that the time to figure out how to deal with temptation isn't when you're being tempted. That's the absolute worst possible time to figure out how to deal with temptation. You better know what to do ahead of time. You better have a plan in place before temptation begins or you will fail the test. And I believe the same thing is true of suffering and possible persecution. It's important to prepare and be ready. So consider this morning's message a preparation for what may come. You know, this time of year, I'm intrigued by how many stories there are in May and June about prayers at high school graduations. And the number seems to increase every year. There seems to be more and more animosity toward Christians in our country. So I'm not a prophet. I'm just saying that the time may come where we need to be prepared to stand up in the face of persecution. There have been thousands 
and thousands of individuals who over the centuries have stood in the face of persecution to the point of becoming a martyr. A martyr, by definition, is a person who willingly suffers death or endures great suffering on behalf of a belief, a principle, or a cause. A Christian martyr is one who suffers for the sake of the truth of the gospel and the power of the cross. There's some perspectives I want us to begin with on persecution from those who have been through it. A Christian named Sanctus, who was a second century deacon in Vienna, he had been arrested and brought to trial for his Christianity. This is what is said of him. The young man was repeatedly told to renounce the faith he professed. No matter what question he asked, he always gave the same unchanging answer. He would stand and say, I am a Christian. According to an ancient historian, Sanctus girded himself against his accusers with such firmness that he would not even tell his name nor the nation or city to which he belonged or whether he was bond or free, but answered in the same Roman tongue to all their questions, I am a Christian. When at last it became obvious that he would say nothing else, he was condemned to severe torture and a public death in the amphitheater. On the day of his execution, he was forced to run the gauntlet, subjected to wild beasts, and fastened to a chair of burning iron. Throughout all of it, his accusers kept trying to break him, convinced that his resistance would crack under the pain of torment. But one historian wrote, even thus, they did not hear a word from Sanctus, except the confession which he had uttered from the beginning. His dying words told of an undying commitment. His rally cry remained constant throughout the entire trial. I am a Christian. Ignatius, a pastor in Antioch, upon being condemned to death in Rome, wrote this. It is not that I want merely to be called a Christian, but I actually want to be one by being faithful to the end. Then I can have the name. Come fire, cross, battling with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, mangling of limbs, crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil, only let me get to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in writing about persecution, said this in Colossians 1, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. In Philippians 1, he writes, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And later in the same letter in Philippians 3, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2 says, For this is a gracious thing then, 
Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. The letter of 1 Peter actually has, by some, been called the Bible's handbook for Christian persecution and martyrdom. So this morning we want to study this handbook, at least a little passage of it. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can use that, or there's also this passage on your outline this morning. If you'll follow along as I read 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I believe in these few verses, the Apostle Peter gives us six realities that will cause you to stand firm through persecution. Now remember as we look at these six realities, we do so in preparation. These are things we need to know before persecution comes, before suffering intensely begins, so that we are ready to stand. The first reality is that it is God's plan for you. Persecution and suffering is God's plan for you. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You see, suffering... For the cause of Christ is not surprising, it is purposeful. It is not strange, nor absurd, nor meaningless. It is a plan. It has a purpose. It is for our testing. Verse 19 holds on to this same thought. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Four important words. According to God's will. Suffering for the gospel is not outside the will of God. It is in God's will. God is sovereign over all things, including the suffering that may come as we identify with Christ. See, when we share the gospel, it probably would not be wise nor true, to tell someone, you know what? 
Just ask Jesus into your heart and all your problems will go away. Life will be easy. You'll become rich, healthy, and good looking. Which in my case, none of those are true. Why wouldn't we say that? Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we identify with the death of Christ. We identify with the suffering of the one who was called the suffering servant. You see, when we take the communion elements, it isn't just to remember him, but it's to remember we are to be like him. We are to follow him in this example that as Christ suffered, we are to suffer. We ask ourselves, what's the purpose of the suffering? Well, I think some little words in verses 12 and 17 tell us this. For our testing, in verse 12, for our testing. But then in verse 17, an interesting passage, it says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We cannot forget that God's judgment is moving through the earth. And the church does not escape his holy wrath. It is simply for another purpose for us. For believers, God's wrath against sin is different. God's testing is different than it is with the unbeliever. When the fire of judgment burns the church, it is for testing and proving and purifying as heat is to gold. But when it burns and tests the world system and it burns and tests unbelievers, it does one of two things. It awakens or it destroys. The gospel is proclaimed and a soul is either awakened to the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ or it is rejected and it brings destruction. In verse 18, it says, And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Believers must pass through God's testing fire too. That's why it isn't all cake and ice cream. Because we pass through God's testing fire. Not because God hates us, but because He loves us. And He desires our complete purity. God hates sin, yet he loves his children. And he loves us so much that he allows refining pain to rid us of what he hates. Did you hear that? God loves you so much that he allows refining pain to rid you of sin. And so we can stand firm through persecution and through suffering because we realize it is God's plan for us. Second, we know that it is a privilege to identify with Christ. The first words of verse 13 say, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice. Now this is just an odd, odd sentence. There are two words that bookend this sentence. The word is rejoice on both ends. And in the middle of the sentence is share Christ's sufferings. 
What's Peter trying to tell us? The sufferings endured for the sake of the gospel are not yours alone. They are also Christ's. And to unite and identify with Christ in this way is to be pure joy to us. It is proof that we are not alone. We are extensions of Christ. When we are beaten, he suffers in our body. We are to rejoice as we share Christ's sufferings. And Peter says it again, that you may also rejoice. Joseph Son, a Romanian pastor standing up to the government for its repression of Christianity, wrote this, it is not my suffering. I only had the honor to share in his sufferings. So we stand firm because it is God's plan for us. And we are allowed the privilege of identifying with Christ. And number three, we are promised that it culminates in our joy. It culminates in our joy, the last part of verse 13. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. As we suffer for the gospel in the now, we do so in the realization that it will bring us great joy in the then. John Piper put it this way. First the suffering and then the glory. Both for Jesus and for those who are united with him. First the suffering and then the glory. First the obedience, then the reward. First the pain and then the healing. It culminates in our joy. The culmination of our suffering for the sake of the gospel and our persecution for the cause of Christ is God's plan for us. We stand firm in the privilege of being united and identified with Christ. It ultimately will culminate in our joy. And number four, we can stand firm because we know that the Spirit is with us. The Spirit is with you in the midst of suffering and persecution. Verse 14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Our consolation in our suffering is this. That in great suffering while here on earth, there is great support from heaven. In the moments when we think we cannot endure and bear it, the Spirit comes and rests on us. How does this work? How does the Spirit of glory and of God rest on me in suffering? The answer is simply this. You'll find out when you need it. Because in the deepest moments of persecution will come enough of the Spirit's care to satisfy your soul and carry you through. But not until. Never turn aside from risk. We cannot. For in those times we will experience the Spirit of God as never before. The Spirit will be with us. Number five, we can stand firm through persecution and suffering because it gives total glory to God. The total glory is to God. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God in that name. Our actions and attitudes in the midst of our suffering will prove to all that Christ is valuable and precious and desirable and satisfying. When all the supports in our lives have fallen away, we continue to rejoice because God alone is the source of our joy. Not the comforts of this world, not the adulation of those who look up to us, not stuff, but God alone is the source of our joy. Number six, we can stand firm through persecution because God will care for your soul. God will care for your soul. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to who? A faithful creator while doing good. No matter what our form or degree of spiritual affliction, one thing we all have in common until Jesus comes is that we will all die. And in those final moments before we face God, the question is, will you rejoice? Especially in the face of suffering and death. For those who have entrusted their soul to a faithful creator and have found their treasure in Christ alone, there will be an overwhelming sense of God's care for your soul. We can shine His light. We can live for His glory. We can rejoice in His care. Listen to what those who have died for the sake of the gospel tell us about persecution. The truth they tell us about giving our lives as martyrs. Mike and Wins, the wife of a pastor in Antwerp in the late 1500s, was burned at the stake for her faith. And she said this, Oh, how easy it is to be a Christian so long as the flesh is not put to the trial or nothing has to be relinquished. Then it's an easy thing to be a Christian. Boris Kornfeld, a converted Jewish doctor in prison for his faith in Siberia, had some last words as he was being clubbed to death for his faith. Lay upon me as an inheritance. It was only when I lay there on a rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Bless you, prison, for having been my life. Evangelist Charles Spurgeon said this about persecution and suffering. They who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Jim Elliott, who was murdered by South American Indians in the early 1950s as he sought to bring them the good news of the gospel of Jesus, said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Martyrs throughout history in the early church and even today look at their lives through the cross. Their self-identity has been radically redefined by the gospel. No matter their status in life, 
They are confident that they've been set free from sin and bought with a price by Christ himself. That is what it means to be a Christian. The first disciples of Jesus were commissioned to take the gospel to the entire world. And in striving to obey that commission, they became some of the first martyrs. Suffering for the sake of the truth of the gospel and suffering in the power of the cross. This statement was written in Africa by a man imprisoned for his faith and later martyred. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I have stepped over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done with low living, sight walking, small planning, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, or popularity. I don't have to be right First, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on His presence. I walk with patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My faith is set. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few, but my God is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in the face of suffering and persecution for the sake of the gospel. The question from God to us is today is not whether we are willing to live for Christ But do we have it in us to suffer and die for his cause? Let's just bow our heads and take a moment. And let God ask each of us that question. I hope that this prayer would be your prayer. Let's say it together. Granted, O Lord, according to your will, that through your grace, not on our own merit, power, or strength, or any such thing, that we may become lovers of the truth, filled with the Holy Ghost. 
Grant us to trust wholly in you and not fear life's circumstances. Grant that we may remain steadfast and faithful to you at all cost, even unto death.